Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. What an honor. And let me wish you a very happy 25th anniversary. Uh, you know, I know a lot of churches because I work with churches around the world. And to have a founding pastor uh, to be with one church for 25 years is very remarkable. Uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, as the average church in the United Methodist denomination, the pastor changes every two years. And, uh, and other churches, life happens and things happen and people move on. But to have a founding pastor to literally build this house with his own hands and uh, with the team of people here, I just want to congratulate you and commend you. And I agree with that prophetic word, the best is yet ahead. I was getting uh, Proverbs 4.18 for you guys, and which is a great verse because it says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day, that you've been righteous, you've been walking in integrity, honoring God with your life, and as a result of that, the Lord says the best is yet ahead. It's going to get brighter and brighter. How many know that uh, the best days are ahead for all of us? How many know the Bible says in Haggai 2.9, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house? And so this is talking about on a global level that uh, God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I believe that this is uh, before Jesus comes. I know that ultimately the glory will come at his second coming. But, uh, you know, sometimes I think we've got to believe God for some of the good passages in the Bible to take place in uh, this side of the millennium, if you will. You know, this side before Jesus Christ comes. Uh, that Jesus said in Numbers fourteen twenty one, as surely as I live. I mean, he's making an emphatic covenant declaration. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. I mean, that's pretty emphatic to me. And so anyway, privileged to be here. How many of you never heard me speak before? Wave your hand at me. Okay, that's the majority of you. And that's good because I could tell you some of my old jokes and it will be new for you. And uh, I was uh, just in China with Mark Tubbs and uh, we were in Shanghai and then we went to, I went to Korea to meet with our HI pastors there. Uh, It's amazing what God's doing around the world. We're in 30 I mean, we're in 67 countries. Our seminary is in 14 countries, so we're in 67 nations now. And we just had uh, Papua New Guinea and Fiji just join us this year, so two more churches added uh, to our network of churches. But anyway, you know, I'm in Shanghai, then I go to Korea, and then I'm in Japan. I flew from Tokyo back to Los Angeles just two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, a lot of you, you, you think we look alike uh, and you, you can't tell the difference. But I want you to know, as, uh, I, I'm Korean, and I could tell the difference. So when you're a Korean, you could tell the difference between Chinese. Can I give you a little cross-cultural lesson so that when you go to those nations, you can discern. And if you see anyone in Seattle or Los Angeles, uh, you know, where it's multicultural, you know the difference between Chinese. Would you like to know a little tip? Because it's very, very simple. If you see a rich-looking nation, they're Chinese. If you see a smart-looking Asian, they're Japanese. They'll take whatever we invent and make it better. So, but if you see a handsome-looking Asian, he's Korean. So that's how you tell the difference between those. <laughs> Again, one of my old jokes. But I, I, was, uh, I was in Korea this past uh, October 21st when I got the news that my spiritual father, uh, Dr. Peter Wagner, had gone home to be with the Lord at the age of 86. We knew what's coming, and I had visited him in Dallas at, a, at the hospital around a month before. 
and he had had open heart surgery and just never really recovered from that. You know, they said it was kind of risky to have heart surgery when you're 86. Uh, but he took a risk and he said, you know, I want to see if I can fight through this and live because his goal was to live over 90 years old of, uh, of uh, age because he had, it's amazing, he's written over 70 books, almost a book for every year of his life. And he had more books he wanted to write. And so he was asking the Lord to uh, give him more years, but it didn't happen. He's now healed in heaven. He's graduated. How many of you know heaven's a wonderful place? Amen. And, uh, you know, Paul says to die is gain. And I know we missed him. And I, I wept uh, when I heard the news in Korea. And so um, in memory of Peter Wagner, I got to tell you one of his favorite jokes, okay? And uh, he, as he was getting older, he was telling a lot of senior jokes. And he was talking about, he shared about a senior uh, a, a couple in a retirement center in Florida, uh, a widower and a widow, and they both had uh, lost their spouse. And, and so, you know, and so these uh, retirement centers, they have social events. They have dances, they have dinner, and you can choose to come or not. And so they planned these things out. And so uh, this couple, they were falling for each other. They were starting to like each other, even though they were elderly. And so the widower decided to ask this widow for her hand in marriage with the upcoming dance and dinner that was coming up. And so they had a wonderful time. They danced. They had dinner. And then after the uh, dinner near the evening, he asked her hand in marriage. And she said yes. And so the next morning, he could not remember if she said yes or no. And so he humbled himself and calls her in her room and said, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm forgetting things. And I had a wonderful time with you last night, but I forgot if you said yes or no. I asked you to marry me, but I forgot if you said yes or no. And she said, I said yes, and I meant it with all my heart. And I'm so glad you called me because I forgot who asked me to marry him last night. (laughs) So that's a Peter Wagner joke. And uh, definitely miss him a lot. And so it's so good. And I thank you, Pastor Dwayne, for just emphasizing the importance of accountability and covering because he's been my apostle since uh, 1996 when HIM started. I had to come up with a board of directors for our 501c3 nonprofit organization, HIM, that was birthed October of 1996. And I asked him to be on the board. And he has been um, my spiritual covering ever since 1996. Well, I want to talk very, very briefly, and um, I feel that we're in a very historic time with everything that's going on, with the election, the shaking that's going on um, in, among the nations, with ISIS, and, and just uh, things that are happening uh, globally. I was just got a text message that there's riots taking place in Indonesia, and we have a number of churches in Indonesia. We have a very strong presence there. And one of our pastors is right in Jakarta, and she was texting me. Uh, one thing about HIM, just want to let you know, is that we do have women pastors, senior pastors and women apostles, like Leona Cinquanta, who spoke here. And so if I make reference to women pastors uh, and you don't believe in that, uh, just, uh, just uh, if you allow me just to express who we are, because I'm just sharing uh, transparently where we're at. Anyway, she's an amazing uh, woman uh, pastor. In fact, she oversees our Wagner Leadership Institute in Jakarta. And uh, the reason why there's uh, rioting going on is because um, the governor of Jakarta, for the first time, is a Chinese Christian. Now, Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation in the world. 
And the, uh, by law, you cannot be president unless you're a Muslim. But you could be a governor, so that's the highest ranked position you could ever attain as a Christian because, uh, again, uh, because of their Islamic uh, laws in, in place. And so, evidently, he made some kind of ma- reference to the Quran that they felt was disrespectful. So now uh, I heard up to around a million people are out in the streets of Jakarta uh, protesting, asking for his removal. Uh, to be replaced as the governor of Jakarta. Now, this is uh, no question about spiritual warfare because um, Nelly, who is the pastor leader that has been communicating with me, says, oh, uh, forget the pun, but trumped up charges. You know, it's not reality. It's, it's just um, they just want to see that they're just jealous that a Christian has attained that high office. But we're in this momentous position because God is raising up believers in every single mountain, including the government mountain, to be the head and not the tail. It's Deuteronomy 28, 13. And so we're seeing that God wants more than just revival because Indonesia has been experiencing revival for years. I was sharing with the leaders last night that Indonesia is one of the hottest uh, places as far as revival goes because being the largest Muslim nation, Indonesia now is 35% born-again Christian. The largest Muslim Muslim nation is experiencing unprecedented revival. Can we thank Jesus for that? I mean, it's amazing. So it's not just revival God is after, it's reformation. And so I want to talk about what is true revival. And I think this is very significant for your church because I really believe that God wants to bring not only historic revival to New Horizon, but I believe that he wants to see you as catalyst for reformation for not only the Northwest, but for our nation. So I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 64 because I want to give you a very simple definition of revival. And uh, I've been a revivalist. I've been a God chaser ever since I got saved during the Jesus People Movement. In 1960, uh, I mean, the the Jesus People Movement started officially in 1967 in Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee. Uh, But I got saved in the East Coast in Maryland in 1973 when the Jesus People Movement swept the United States. It hit the uh, East Coast from the West Coast around that time. And I got radically saved. and, And I'm just here by the grace of God. But what is revival? You know, because there's so many synonyms for revival. We talk about renewal, renewal meetings. We talk about awakening. We talk about refreshing. We talk about outpouring. In fact, there's been meetings going on in San Diego since January. We're talking about over 220 days. They're calling it outpouring meetings. And so, and all of that is good, but, but what is historic revival? And I want to just give you a very simple definition of revival, okay? Because you have it really here. When heaven meets earth. It's when heaven invades earth. Okay, that's revival. It's when heaven invades earth. I like to say it this way. Revival is his arrival. When God manifests himself on earth. Now, we know God's omnipresent. He's here. But when he shows up in a manifest way, that's revival. And, and so that's why we're after his glory. We emphasize glory. What is the glory of God? It's the manifest presence of God. Okay, kavod, the Hebrew word, means the manifest presence of God. And so Moses said, you know, unless your presence goes with us, we could go no further, right, in Exodus 33. And so finally after interceding and, um, and then shifting things in God's heart, God says, okay, my presence will go with you. But he's not satisfied with that. He says, now show me your glory. 
And, um, and then God says, no man can see me and live. But he says this, very interesting, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to allow my goodness to pass over you. Now think about it. He could have said anything about his nature, his character, his attributes. My holiness to pass over you. My power to pass over you. My wisdom to pass over you. But he says, my goodness. How many know he's a good God? He loves you with an everlasting love. And I think, um, you know, Bill Johnson just wrote a new book called God is Good, and I highly commend that because he asked me to give an endorsement for that book, and I read that. It's just an amazing book because I think there's something about the goodness of God. We know it intellectually, but how many know we need to get down here? That one-foot distance is probably the biggest gap in the universe because we know God loves us, and yet we're walking like, uh, like orphans, you know? And, and so we need to have a revelation of the Father's heart, that he loves you. He's a good, good Heavenly Father. But Isaiah uh, 64, verse 1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Now, this is so powerful. And he says that you would tear the heavens, just like the, it's the same word used to, uh, when the curtain, temple curtains were ripped. It's the same word when uh, Jesus was being baptized and the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And, and by the way, don't ever compare your experience with anyone else because the Holy Spirit manifests on people differently. It came upon Jesus like a dove, very gently. It came upon the disciples with a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, the whole place shook. There was a huge sound, a sound from heaven that caused the gathering of people. Same spirit but different encounters. And so here he's praying, Isaiah is praying that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might shake at your presence. Now we could talk about literal mountains, you know, uh, Mount Rainier, or are we talking about that? Are we talking about, or is it possible mountains in the Old Testament talks about places of influence? Come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord and he will teach us his ways. He will show us his path. And the word of the Lord will go forth from that mountain in Isaiah chapter 2. And I, I really believe that what you're doing on the seven mountains of society is very, very critical because in 1973, both Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission, both got the revelation on the same day because they were meeting for lunch. And they were to share with each other this revelation that you could disciple a nation, a whole nation, if you divide the nation up into seven areas, the, the mountain of religion or the church, the mountain of family, which is a huge mountain because it began with a family in the garden, the mountain of business, the mountain of education, the mountain of government, the mountain of media, and the mountain of arts and entertainment. And what God wants to do is shake those mountains with his manifest presence. And so what I want to submit to you is not just seeing souls saved. Yes, that your, that your spirit will come upon all flesh and, and, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But it's beyond that. He is serious about us discipling nations. How I many know that's not the great suggestion? It's the great commission. Amen. He wants us to disciple nations. So the first characteristic I want to just talk about of a true historic revival it encompasses three things. And let me give it to you right off the bat in case I don't finish my message. First of all, the church is first revived. Because the church has a tendency to lose her first love. And you see that in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. 
uh, with the church in Ephesus. And so the church gets revived. It begins with us. Judgment always begins in the house of the Lord. Secondly, unbelievers are awakened and the harvest comes in en masse. That's what we're looking for, right? It's like Satan has blinded the eyes of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It's like the scales come off and that's what happened to you. It's like you may have been faced with the gospel. Maybe your family knew Jesus and you just didn't see it. And one day the scales came off, you saw, and you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm praying for. If you're here, you don't know Jesus, I pray that you do not leave this place without giving your heart to Jesus Christ. The third characteristic is not only the harvest coming in, but society is transformed. True historic revival leads to the transformation of society. But I like to use the word reformation of society. The reason why I like to use the word reformation is because transformation is temporary. Sometimes you see change take place in society, but then uh, a generation later it goes back. It reverts back. Whereas reformation, and I'm going to talk about the reformation because we are now coming up to the 500th anniversary. We're talking about 25th anniversary. Uh, next year, October 31st, uh, uh, 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Because in 1517, that's the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on Wittenberg door, and that's the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And so I feel it's a very significant time in church history. So, number one, the church is revived. Now, I gave my life to the Lord in 1973. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1974, spoke in tongues, and the Lord immediately brought me into healing ministry. And, and I've been known, I started out as a healing evangelist. I prayed for the sick. I was part of a huge Bible study, part of the Jesus People Movement. 2,000 kids gathered every Tuesday night, and they asked me to oversee the healing room. So every Tuesday night, those who wanted prayer for healing would go to the side room, and I would pray for them. So that's how I got started in ministry. And um, it, it was a, a tremendous time. Uh, and, and yet, when God called me to California in 1984, my wife and I, we moved out. And you know, here we were part of this mega church of 3,000 members, by the of 2,000, nothing could go wrong. And I, I just, you know, I was like... Uh, the, the pastor of evangelism, I wasn't the senior pastor of our church, but I was like uh, number three, on, was a senior pastor, executive pastor, and then it was me. And it was Hattie, because I was so young. I mean, I was ordained when I was 23. And I thank God that I, you know what I love about this church, and I want to just commend you, I see multi-generation, I see a multicultural uh, expression. How many know that looks like heaven, amen? Yeah, give yourself a hand for that, because it's a sign of health, it really is. But the thing I also love is that you have young leaders, and that's really, really a good sign. And so I was ordained when I was 23, and, and so I planted my first church when I was 28. And uh, I moved to California, went to Fuller Seminary, and that's how I met Peter Wagner. But instead of revival, I went through the 10 worst years of my life. It's like, where's the God of Revival. We planned a church, and after one year, we had 20 people, Dwayne, 20. That included my family and Lou Engel's family. You know, we had four kids, and he had six. That's called church growth, okay? And it was just like, you know, we were so used to everything being easy. Now, we had no historic context. We didn't know that we were in a major revival on the East Coast called the Jesus People Movement. And now we're in the 80s, and I would joke and say the, the 80s were from Hades. I mean, I hated the 80s. Nothing was happening in the 80s for us. If anything, negative things were happening, you know. 
That's when, you know, major television evangelist scandals took place in 87. And, you, you know, you're on the airplane and they ask you, what, you, what do you do for a living? I didn't want to say I'm a pastor. It was just not cool to be a pastor at that time. But, but God was using those years to prepare me and develop character. Nothing is wasted in his kingdom. Some of you may be going through the dark night of the soul. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with Psalm 30. It says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? And so you may be going through the dark night of your soul, but I want you to know that morning's coming. All right? So 10 years of character development, and of course, I use that time to go to seminary because uh, my dad is a Southern Baptist pastor, and he asked me to go. And just to honor him, I, I went, and I have no regrets because I met Peter Wagner there. And then uh, after I got my, uh, my Master of Divinity, MDiv, I got my doctorate there. And so I spent eight years at Fuller Seminary, and I'm grateful for it. But I needed to get revived because after 10 years, by 1993, I was ready to leave the ministry. I was so discouraged because nothing was happening. The church wasn't growing. And, you know, and then I actually, to be honest with you, my wife and I resigned in 92. Because I thought, well, you know, I'm known as a healing evangelist, and maybe I should step out and start itinerating. You know, maybe it can't get any worse. But the problem was that no one really knew me. I wasn't getting invited anywhere. And so it got worse. <laughs> and, and, I, and I have four kids who are now getting older, and we had to refinance our house in Pasadena, California, just to make ends meet. And uh, by 93, I hit rock bottom. And uh, I, 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 I t- t- would tell people I was so depressed. You know how depressed I was? I had to exercise faith just to move from depression to discouragement. <laughs> I mean, no, that's pretty bad off. Okay, so that's where I was at. I was ready to quit the ministry. I was ready to get a job because I had to support my family. I had felt really responsible with four children, and, um, and I can't uh, even uh, make ends meet. And so... Um, and here I was, you know, getting my doctorate. I finished all my coursework, and I was finishing up my dissertation, and uh, I'm unemployed. Now, for those who have gone through unemployment, uh, my heart goes for you because I was unemployed for two years. And when you have four children and you're unemployed, it's, it's the worst. Because, uh, I mean, the people would drop groceries at our front door, and we would open the door and we'd just start weeping. People say, oh, God, thank you that you are meeting our needs according to your riches. No matter the fact that I don't have a job, uh, you're providing for us. So I know what it's like. But I want to encourage you to just continue to honor God. Because one of the things I did, I just said, Lord, you know, I may quit the ministry, but I'm not going to quit you. You delivered me from drug addiction. You delivered me from the domain of, dominion of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of your light. And so in January of 1994, I went to a conference, uh, a vineyard conference, and this is something I did annually. And we lived in Southern California, and John Wimber was one of my professors at Fuller, and so we had this tradition. But we had no idea that the Holy Spirit was falling in Toronto at that time, and this conference was end of January, January 25th, five days after the initial outpouring in Toronto. So John Wimber gets up the first night of the conference. He, uh, it's a Wednesday night. And he said, um, now, I just want to welcome all those. There were 4,000 at this conference at the Anaheim Vineyard. He said, I want to welcome all of you to this conference, but we just heard word that the Holy Spirit is falling in Toronto, one of our churches in Toronto. 
But we think um, it's something that's happening in, across the body of Christ. But we had something unusual this past Sunday. We were sending a group of our teenagers to go to New Zealand for a short-term mission trip. And when we prayed for them to send them out, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they were on the ground laughing and shaking for two hours. Now, we just want you to know that doesn't normally happen when we send out teams. And so what's, what's going on in Toronto, what's happening here, we feel God's up to something. So we just want to prepare you for this conference because God may just break in during the conference. And sure enough, the worship begins with 4,000 people and the Holy Spirit begins to fall in one section at a time. We're all the way in the balcony at the very end. And Lou Engel, who's with me, who's been a prophet in my life for 30 years, he begins to pick it up. He said, Che, look at that. The Spirit of God sweeping and sections of the auditorium were breaking out in laughter during worship. No one said anything funny. And listen, you know, I've been part of the charismatic movement. I never experienced holy laughter. I, I didn't know what this was all about. But you could see it. People were just breaking up and laughing. It's like if laughter broke out in this section, then it would hit this section, then this section. And so we're in the balcony. We're seeing this phenomenon taking place. And so Luke gets really excited. I said, Che, it's coming towards us. And I said, I'm not going to laugh. I said, you know, this, this is not the Holy Spirit. This is, you know, I had a sociological term. This is what a doctor would do. I said, this is called social proof. And I could explain that. I don't have time to explain what social proof is. But, but, as, but God is so merciful. The point I want to make is that when the Holy Spirit hit our section, I felt myself getting inebriated in the Spirit. And everything was funny. And I could not stop laughing for a good 20 minutes. Every face looked funny. Every, I mean, there was a guy sitting in front of me who was totally bald. Forgive me for those who are bald. But his bald head looked so funny. I total stranger, and I was so drunk in the spirit, I leaned over and started to massage his head. He didn't care because he was drunk too. And he thought it was funny. We fell out of our chair. We're laughing so hard. And then it just lifted. But here's the point. When it lifted, my depression was gone. And I never got depressed, but I was in this despair, this period of depression because of our financial situation, ministry situation. And I could say before the Lord, the God is my witness. That's the last time I experienced depression in the last 22 plus years. Something broke right there. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you could use more joy. I, you look like you walked in here wearing tight underwear. You don't look too happy. I, yeah. <laughs> and so the kingdom is full of joy. Amen. So I got revived, and we need that. All of us need that. We get dry, or we can sort of backslide or lose our first love. So the first characteristic is the church returns to her first love and is revived. Secondly, the harvest comes in. And, of course, it did during the Jesus People Movement. We, Time Magazine even reported in 1971 that 2 million teenagers had given their hearts to the Lord. This is 71. I got saved in 73. The Jesus People Movement went to 1977 historically from 67 to 77, and they said by 71. Let me give you another example. The Hebrides Revival of 1948. Hebrides Island are a set of islands right off the coast of Scotland. And the glory of God hit those islands, particularly the Lewis Island. One Scottish preacher named Duncan Campbell, a very famous preacher, he said, in his opinion, everyone on the island got saved. 
He didn't know not one person. We're talking about, and they were getting saved, not in a service. It's like the glory came to Lewis uh, Island and the main town, the coastal town there. It's like conviction came of of people at work, at home, as they're walking on the streets. They said that ships that went by that island, the glory of God would hit the ships and people would come under conviction. This is what we're talking about when we're saying, run the heavens and come down. We're asking for your manifest presence to come. That impacts unbelievers. The scales come off. And here's what happened. When they started to go to services, every church building was packed out four times a day. In order to accommodate the crowds, they had to have services every day in the evening. They worked during the daytime. They had services at 7.30, 9.30, 11.30, and 1.30 in the morning. And you could only go to one service a week. What does revival look like if it hits Seattle? Can you imagine if, (laughs) I mean, you would not have enough church buildings to fill the crowd. Seriously. All the buildings could be filled many times. And that's why Luego is saying to stadium Christianity, buildings are too small. We have to move to stadiums. And he's doing these prophetic acts of gathering at stadiums like we did at Azusa now in in Southern California. And, um, and, um, it's, it's where we're headed for. I remember in 1991, um, Peter Wagner said, revival is breaking out in Argentina. You need to go there just to see what's going on. And sure enough, we were just so amazed. We went to one city in a city of um, around 350,000. One city of 350,000, they had invited a, an evangelist named Carlos Andrucandia, and he spent 40 days there and over... 50,000 people got saved out of 350,000. They were saying, the pastors were testifying, before he came, our church had 300. After he came, we had a church of 3,000. We are meeting outside. We can't accommodate the crowd. That's revival when the harvest comes in, see? So when we're praying for revival, just getting renewed and refreshed is wonderful, but that's just part of it until we start seeing the harvest come in mass. I remember we, Lou and I went to uh, uh, Hector Jimenez's church in Buenos Aires. People were lined up to go into this next service. And, you know, because we were the American delegates, we were brought into the side room. And the thing that was really amazing is that the building was pretty large. It was a 2,000-seat theater. The problem was that they had a church of 150,000 members. So they had services 23 hours a day, seven days a week, and you could only go to one service. Think about that. 23 hours, only one hour a day they didn't have a service, and that was just to clean the bathroom really well because it was just nonstop services. That's revival. So the harvest coming in. Number three, the third characteristic is not just only the church getting revived and returning to her first love and the harvest coming in, which I believe, by the way, I believe that we're going to see a billion soul harvest. And, uh, and you know, Lauren Cunningham I preached in our church um, in 2015, and he said, I had the most amazing vision in January of this year, 2015. He said, I saw this massive tsunami wave hitting the West Coast and hitting the rest of the United States. And I asked the Lord, what is this wave? And the Lord said, it's going to be the greatest revival America has ever experienced in the history of American church. Come on. Do you believe that? I mean, we're, look, you're on the West Coast, Seattle. Come on. You're going to be one of the early adopters of this revival. L.A., West Coast. 
And so we're seeing it in San Diego. And, you know, uh, James Gall prophesied the West Coast rumble. But I know in my spirit it's talking about the harvest coming in. And so now the third characteristic, the third characteristic is this. The third characteristic is that society is reformed. In true revival, it changes society. Like, for example, in the Welsh Revival in 1904 with Evan Roberts, 100,000 got saved in the first six months. And the people that they targeted, they went to bars, they went to jails, they went to prison to share the gospel with these young revivalists with Evan Roberts. And the jails empty because all of them got saved. The police were out of work. There was no one to arrest. And that's when the police started to form quartets because they had nothing else to do. So they formed quartets to sing in, in church services. Seriously. They stopped playing soccer on Sunday. Do you know what? That, that's revival for Great Britain. I don't know if you know how much soccer is such a big thing. Not only that, the, the, it's a, Wales, is a, the main industry is coal mining. And when the coal miners got saved, the mules and the ponies that carted the, the coal in their, in, in their uh, carts, they were absolutely confused because they couldn't understand the language of the coal miners. Before, they would curse at them, yell at them, and now they're talking nice to the donkeys, and so they were absolutely confused. They didn't know what to do. So they had to retrain them. That's, that's impacting even... Look, the coal economic production went way high. Why? Because a lot of them were drunk on the job, and they weren't working hard. But now they're saved. They're doing it unto the Lord. That Christmas, they said, was the best Christmas because before the coal miners would take their Christmas bonus and get drunk on Christmas Day. For the first time, they bought toys for their children. They took the Christmas bonus, bought toys, and said, we're going to go to services. And as people are leaving houses, going to services, the kids are laughing. They're happy because their dad's back. He's not drunk. And they got toys that morning. It was like the happiest Christmas. But we're talking about permanent transformation because a few years later, for whatever reason, it got kind of weird. Evan Roberts, the founder of the Welsh Revival, felt like he shouldn't be in the limelight, and he went to seclusion until 1945. And the revival died when he went into seclusion. Listen, God uses men and women to be catalysts. Throughout church history, he has used, uh, whether it's D.L. Moody, whether it's Charles Finney, whether it's Evan Roberts, whether it's, you know, Whitfield or Wesley. And when God calls you to be a revivalist, you just have to steward that calling. But let me give you a good example. We talked about uh, Wesley and Whitfield. Whitfield, um, of course, was an extraordinary evangelist, would preach to around 30,000 at a time. And Wesley was an incredible apostle. He would build churches, and he had a discipleship group called class groups, which became the foundation of the United Methodist denomination. But there was a young man who got saved under Whitfield named William Wilberforce. He was brilliant. He was a Cambridge graduate. And you know, when he got saved, he wanted to be a pastor. But his pastor, whose name was John Newton, and John Newton's famous for writing the hymn, Amazing Grace, was a former slave trader. And slave trade, back then, the slave trade industry was the number one industry in Great Britain. They had a monopoly. They bought out the French and the Spaniards, and they had the exclusive monopoly of taking the African slaves from Africa and bringing it to America to, save, to sell them as slaves. And Newton said, listen, there's so many pastors now but you are a Cambridge graduate. I want to encourage you to run for parliament and become a member of parliament. 
and do whatever you can to end the abomination of slave trade and slavery in Great Britain. And Wilberforce said he had an encounter with God. He, knew, he just had this epiphany. He knew his calling, that he was going to work the rest of his life to end slave trade. It would be like someone being called to work to overturn Roe v. Wade and to end abortion of 53 million babies have been aborted since 1973. So he had this epiphany. He knew he was called to do that. And with a group of around 300 called the Clapman Group, because people, business people, other members of parliament, other pastors. But there was one woman who was an incredible illustrator. It was like the social media of their time. She was an incredible artist. So with Wilberforce, she drew this pictorial book. It was like almost like a comic book because it was really inexpensive. They just gave it away by the thousands. And it was a picture of how the slaves were chained on a slave ship and how inhumane they were treated. And with the description of it and graphic picture and how most of them died on the ship to Africa, to uh, America. And it went viral. When people saw that, and they were writing, these people are made in the image of God. They're human beings. How dare we treat them like this? It shifted the mentality of a whole nation. And all of a sudden, what was uh, a town that was built on the industry of slave trade, all of a sudden, they said, We'd, we, you could have the money. We, this is an abomination to God. Because they were getting saved, too. In conjunction with the Great Awakening, there, there came Reformation. And finally, Parliament passed. It took him his whole lifetime of fighting for this. But after 40 years of contending, Parliament finally passed that slavery trade would be illegal. And then a few years after Wilberforce died, they ended slavery altogether without having to fire one shot like we had to go through a civil war. What's the point? True revival leads to transformation of society, permanent transformation, reformation. They will no go back, never go back. We will never go back to slavery. Amen? We will never go. And so we still have work to do in our nation. Because God's saying, listen, I want to see revival, not only souls being saved, not only you getting blessed and renewed, but I want to see society change. I want heaven to invade earth. So when we talk about heaven coming to earth, we've been praying that for 2,000 years. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there any injustice in heaven? No. Is there any racism in heaven? Is there any systemic poverty in heaven? Of course not. Neither are there sick people in heaven or those who are demonized. And so we're saying, God, let heaven touch earth. This is revival. When that happens, you will see, I believe, that you will see what I believe is being prophesied, nations being discipled, of Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Now, in a moment, I'm going to ask you, to make a commitment to be a revivalist, a reformer. And I'm going to have Pastor Dwayne come on up now, but I want to close by commissioning you to be revivalists, reformers in a true historic way. Amen. You enjoying this? Come on, if we could have the praise team come. This is great. You know, uh, I love it when church is powerful, but I also love it when I learn a bunch. Isn't that awesome? Are you learning something? I just believe there is, uh, you know, there's such an anointing on Che to open up our hearts and open up our minds to what God wants to do. 
And I want us to embrace it with all of our hearts. I'm going to ask him to come back in a minute and, and pray for us uh, and close out the service. But I want us to give uh, this morning, I'm going to ask the ushers to come and just pass envelopes down every row. I want us to give into uh, HIM and give uh, into the ministry that's just flowing out of him as an apostle and a leader. So I want to ask you to participate in that and be a part of that. Uh, one thing that I've come to know about Che and about uh, the network is that uh, he is flowing with generosity. And so I know that investments in the ministry that he's leading, investments in his life, investments in HIM, uh, they probably won't even settle uh, with him. Hallelujah. Uh, it, it's just crazy. You know, just the, they'll probably be flowing out of him uh, in the other, because there's something of generosity and distribution happening. And we're a part of that too. I don't know if you know that we're, we're a part of that. Uh, part of our monthly giving is into HIM. And, and we want to be a part of expanding the kingdom, fueling the fire of revival and reformation globally and worldwide. So I want to ask you to give and be a part of that. We'll take a moment and let you get your envelopes. Worship team, if you'd prepare to help us close as well. Father, we just welcome you right now. Can you just open your hearts and pray with me as you're preparing? You don't have to close your eyes even, but just just preparing our hearts. Holy Spirit, we want the, the these distinct manifestations of your glory. The awakening, the, the quickening, the refreshing of the church the harvest coming in and the transformation of society. And Lord, we're, we're posturing our own hearts right now to say with You, Heaven, invade the earth. Heaven, invade the earth. Heaven, invade the earth. Heaven, invade the earth. Shay, would you come and just help us close this morning? Shay, would you come and help us close this morning? I want to pray over your giving as you give, and then just allow him to lead the closing of the service. I told him that he can just close us out any way that he wants to. Uh, I'm sure that some of the prayer partners will come as well. And we just want to close our gathering this morning, just embracing all that God has for us. Father, we declare your blessing on the partnership that we have with Shay, with Sue, with HIM, with HROC, with, with all that you're doing. We just say yes to you. We say more. We say more globally and as a network and as a people that we would be caught in a Genesis 11 mindset where we would say the same thing, believe the same thing, where we would be unified as a people for a global move of God. In Jesus' name. What I want to do is two things. I want to pray. If you're here and you feel like you 
need to be revived. You feel spiritually dry, empty, just feel like you've been going through the motion, and you're saying, I need a fresh touch. I also believe in a crowd this size, there may be some who've never given their hearts to Jesus Christ. And so I want to lead you in a prayer, one prayer for rededication and being revived and refreshed, but a prayer of commitment. It'll be the same prayer, just one prayer. And so would you just pray this with me? Let's all pray this together because we all can be revived, right? So just pray this. Just say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. I repent. Jesus, I give you my heart. I confess. Jesus is my Lord. Heavenly Father, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Now, for those who have never made a commitment to Jesus, you know, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I believe if you did that with sincerity, because 43 years ago, I did that. I, I was a drug addict. I was such a mess. I didn't even pray the sinner's prayer correctly. I just cried out to God and said, God, if you're for real, Reveal yourself to me. And he revealed himself to me in the person of Jesus Christ. And I had such an encounter of his love. For the next three days, I could not stop weeping. Off and on throughout the day, just this love came upon me. He loves you. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you prayed that for the first time or a serious rededication, you feel like you've been away from God and uh, you're making a fresh commitment today. What a great day on the 25th anniversary of New Horizon Church. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to take courage. Jesus said, if you accept me before men, I'll accept you before my Father in heaven. So I'm going to ask you, have you prayed that for the first time or a serious rededication? I want to count to three, and I want you to boldly raise your hand. Will you do that? Let me count to three. One, two, three. Raise your hand and just hold it up high. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Their hands going up. Now go to that connect uh, section and let people know you made that commitment. The second prayer I want to pray is that if you feel that God has called you, and I feel everyone should be a, a reformer. Everyone should be a revivalist. By the way, can I just say this? This coming Tuesday, if you haven't already voted, we are all on the government mountain, and we can make a difference. And I want to encourage you as citizens of the greatest country in the world, because I'm, I was a citizen when I uh, immigrated here. In 1969, we became citizens of the United States. And uh, we have an opportunity uh, to make a difference. And uh, let's steward that. Don't say, well, I'm so disgusted, I'm not going to do something. Do something and be salt and light. Let's all stand up. Father, here we are. We say, use us. It's not here I am, send someone else. Send me to be a revivalist, a reformer. That we're to be salt. We're to be light. We're to shift the atmosphere. That we are carriers of the glory of God. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 And Lord, I pray that you would use us in our sphere of influence on the mountain that we're on, that we would bring about revival and reformation for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you. Happy anniversary. And uh, I hope I can see you again soon before. Come on down Pasadena and hang out with us. Thank you, Lord.